Homestyle Green, episode 75, Self-Help Housing with Steve Huey. G'day and welcome back to the show. I am Matthew Cutler-Welsh, a sustainable housing expert, and you are someone who's interested in making a better place to live, whether you're a designer or a builder or an architect or maybe just a prospective homeowner who wants to create a better house for you and your family. Now, this week I am speaking with uh, Steve Huey, who is the director of an organization called Canopy Housing or Canopy Housing Project. You can find out more about Canopy Housing at canopyhousing.org, and I've got a bunch of information on Steve and his organization over at homestylegreen.com slash 75 for episode 75. Um, Self-help housing, it's not a term that I had come across before, but it makes a lot of sense. It's something a little bit different. But as normal, I started out asking Steve why he does what he does. Thanks, Matthew. It's uh, it's good to chat. Um, Yeah, I mean, I've been working in housing now for 18 years, um, and... I mean, I, I started volunteering while I was a student um, in Leeds with a homeless project, um, just because I've, I've always kind of wanted to help homeless people. And, uh, you know, I started off there. And then my first kind of full-time proper job was in a, um, a homeless drop-in centre in the middle of Leeds. Yeah. And that my career just sort of carried on from there. And I've been working with homeless people in one way or another ever since, um, moving into kind of resettlement work and then management uh, um some housing management and then the last six years i've been at canopy um as the director and yeah still i'm still kind of obsessed with housing and uh still glad to be you know helping homeless people in some way or other where did that come from what drew you to wanting to work with homeless people specifically uh i'm really not sure i think um i I mean, going way back, I grew up with a disabled sister, so I always had kind of compassion for vulnerable people. And I think that got me into wanting to work with vulnerable people. Uh, and, you know, many of the homeless people I worked with in the early days were really quite vulnerable. Um, yeah. And I think that's how I that's how I kind of went into it. And that's why I had the kind of mindset I did wanting to get involved. Um, and nowadays, you know, I've learned a lot about management and I've sort of you know learned a lot more become a lot more interested in housing in general yep um so that's the kind of uh you know the kind of rut i've got into is um (laughs) in that housing and and you know management because it kind of serves my housing career really yeah right what's the biggest problem facing or the biggest housing problem in your part of the world right now Okay, that's a good question. I mean, housing is really central and crucial and and key, uh, obviously, to everybody. We all need somewhere to live. We all need some shelter. Mm. Um, And uh, in the UK, it's a big political and economic question at the moment. Um, I suppose we, you know, some people would say we've got a broken housing market in that we've got big problems with undersupply of housing or under availability of housing to those that need it. Yeah. Um, issues with affordability as well. So a lot of people can't get on the housing ladder that would like to. Um, rents are going up much faster than average earnings. Um, 
there's a what some people might call a housing bubble, particularly in London. Um, prices are back up to where they were across the country, really, in uh, where they were in 2008, just before the crash. Um, so there's a lot of worrying issues there, um, you know. So a, a, lot, a lot to go at, really. Yeah, yeah. Um, you made an interesting point there that housing is crucial for everyone. Do you think that mm. people understand that in general, just how important houses are for people? Um, I, I think, unfortunately, we are all quite selfish, and we we understand how important our own house is, mm. um, but we may not really transfer that compassionately to you know lots of other people. Yeah, um, we kind of read in the papers, you know, there's a housing problem, undersupply, affordability issues. But I think most people sat in their own homes are concerned about the value of their own homes, yeah, yeah, and uh, whether they like where they live and that kind of thing. Yeah. They're less concerned about the fact there are you know millions of people who are unaffordably housed and inadequately housed and that kind of thing so i think that's just an unfortunate uh byproduct of human nature now you mentioned they're inadequately housed now are you implying that there's not necessarily a black and white either people are homeless or they have a home that there's there's some middle ground there absolutely yeah uh i mean Clearly, there are some homeless people, quite a large and growing number of them in, in the UK. But um, there's a there's a lot of people who are living in cramped conditions. Uh-huh. They're overcrowded. Um, I'm just going to shut my windows, Matthew. Sorry, someone started up a power tool. <laughs> Sorry. You, you're busy making houses. There we go. Sorry about that. That's all right. just someone in the back, uh, in the back alley started up a... Big drill. I, I imagine that's what happens around there. Uh, yeah, I guess. Yeah, there's a lot of work going on. Um, so, uh, sorry. Yes, there's a lot of people who are overcrowded, um, or uh, you know, living on a friend's sofa, or whole yeah. families living, whole families living in one room. Uh, so there's a lot of people who are you know vulnerably housed or inadequately housed. Um, again, because of this lack of accessibility to um decent housing and, and all this so the affordability problem yeah which is fascinating because um i track some uh some google alerts and one of the terms i have is is affordability and i'm staggered mm-hmm. by how widespread that issue is in different regions all around the world and i think a lot of cities think it's a unique problem to their city but it it seems to be everywhere that uh lots of uh, populations are having a challenge with affordability. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know much about the New Zealand market, but I've I have heard that you guys have got similar issues in some areas in terms of house prices being beyond the reach of a lot yep. of people. Yeah. Um, and so, and, I mean, the- so one thing that I guess the dichotomy here is we've got lots of you said you mentioned an undersupply, but. From what I understand, the canopy, you go out and find derelict houses or um, buildings that aren't being used anymore. How does that situation happen where you've got buildings which are vacant or empty or, or, or derelict, and at the same time you've got people who don't have anywhere to live? Yeah, it's a, it's a very good question. Um, I mean, empty Empty buildings are an underused resource, and that's one of the 
things that's made Canopy so successful is that we we get hold of this underused resource and 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 use it. Um, why why do buildings become empty? Um, is is quite complex, and I guess each building has its own story, and each owner of buildings has a different reason why their particular house or or property has become empty. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's certain areas of cities which have become undesirable or the bottoms fallen out of the market um, for one reason or another or the, the labour market's uh, shrunk so um, people can't afford to live in certain places even even at you know rock bottom prices yeah um, so I mean I'll give you an example in in Leeds that's the city that Canopy is based in um, we've got about 6,000 uh, empty homes wow um, yeah about uh, I think two and a half thousand of them are long-term empty homes, so they've been empty longer than six months. Um, and 90% of those are in the private sector, so they're privately owned um, by someone who might have inherited them, or um, they've got a buy-to-let that's fallen into disrepair, um, or, or various other reasons. Um, and the other 10% are, are publicly owned, and, and the council here would probably say that you know it's just churn, and they're, they're they're doing them up and so on. Yeah. Um, but we on the on the flip side, we've got over twenty thousand households on the register uh, waiting for affordable housing. Um, right. So yeah, there is a kind of, as you say, a, a weird dichotomy there, um, and it's something that Canopy. Well, that's really why Canopy began because the founders saw the the two problems of homelessness and empty homes, and wanted to put the two together in some kind of solution. And in a small way, Canopy's succeeded in doing that over 16 years, um, bringing back into use 60 um, empty homes. Um, but that's just scratching the surface, really. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, you, you, how do you feel when you look at those numbers and, and all the hard work you've put in and you've achieved, just say, 60 houses? Mm, yeah, that's right. Um, well, I guess Canopy is kind of small and beautiful, yeah. um, <laughs> and we're, we're quite well thought of as a model and uh, as an organisation. Yeah. And so we've we've been able to influence um, policymakers, politicians, um, and funders to uh, help other organisations do similar work. Right. So right. just in the last couple of years. Um, one of the great things that the coalition government have done in this country, um, and some would argue they've not done that many great things, uh-huh. um, but they did put um, thirty million pounds into the community into a community grants program yep. for uh, organisations like Canopy. So um, before that grant funding came along, there were about thirty organisations we reckon doing similar stuff to Canopy. Um, but now there are over 90. Wow. And so there are people all around the country um, doing similar things now. Um, and they're buying houses and renovating them and bringing them back into use. So we're, we're really hoping that will continue into the next government. Um, we've got an election here next May. Yep. Um, so I think Canopy had a very small but significant part to play in persuading the politicians, um, you know, five years ago that it would be a good idea to, to resource this sector better yeah so you've created some leverage there and had an influence beyond just the those 60 households that you've directly contributed to you you've inspired yeah. others and uh that 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 is definitely significant you know the, that three times yeah. uh 
um, uh, growth of people doing similar things around the country. And that was one of the things I wanted to ask you about was was how transferable the model is because obviously what you do relies on a uh, an available stock of um, houses that have been left for some reason. So yeah. is that one of the key constraints of, of other people doing a project similar? Yeah. Uh, I mean, th- there's uh, there's lots of different ways of doing what we do, and, and every project around the country is slightly different. Uh, some might do more purchase rather than leasing. Um, some might do uh, more training or less training or um, more involvement of the tenant in the work or less involvement and so on. Um, and be set up on different structures mm-hmm. like community land trusts or, or charities or social enterprises and so on. Right. Um, but the, the, the five, um, there's five essential things needed for self-help housing. Um, it was, um, a guy uh, called Professor uh, uh, David Mullins who uh, did a report uh, and, and highlighted that there are five uh, essential things and they are uh, properties, uh, funding, partners, a workforce and tenants. Right. And um, we've got no shortage of people wanting to be tenants. Uh, we've got lots of people wanting to volunteer with us as a workforce and we've got a good staff team too. Um the the supply of property uh, and partnerships are probably um, two of the most challenging things. Uh, in terms of funding, we've done fairly well at Canopy, although that's always an ongoing problem as well. Um, yeah. But we found that, um, you know, if you've got the money to buy empty homes, then that's great. You can just go out and buy them at market value and bring them back into use and so on. Yeah. And that model works really well. Um, historically, Canopy got a lot of leases on a favorable basis from Leeds City Council um, on a peppercorn rent for a, you know a pound a year over 20 years right and that was great and that model worked brilliantly for the first uh, say 10 years of Canopy's life um, but when that goodwill seems to have run out really and they're, right. they're, less, they're less willing to, to do that kind of lease now so we did, that, did you get too successful um, well, I think it's not just us. I mean, they, they really aren't giving much out in, in that kind of way now. But I think because of the recession here and the cuts that local authorities mm. had to make, um, Leeds wanted to um, maximise their capital receipts and right. just sell buildings if they weren't sure. going to be using them themselves. At, at, so at we've had market to switch. Rate. Yeah, that's right. So we've had to switch um, to a, a purchase model. So, but... Even in in terms of the privately owned empty homes that there are, and, and that does account for most of the privately uh, that does account for most of the empty homes in the UK. Um, it's actually quite difficult to do deals with private owners. Um, people tend to not want to work with an organisation who will help them bring it back into use. They they're kind of holding out for the market to pick up even more, and maybe you know cash in by selling it in a year or two, right or or they're suspicious of the motives of organisations trying to um, work with them. Um, and, and we found lots of problems. You know, the, the leasing projects and programmes that have happened over the last couple of years around the country have not been very successful, and that's been a real shame. Mm, mm. Uh, is it hard to find out who buildings belong to? Um, it's... It, not too hard, to be honest, especially if you've got a good relationship with your local authority. Right. Um, yeah. We, we've got something here called the land register, which you can um, 
you can just apply to and pay a, an, an administrative fee of about five pounds or something and you can find out who, who the owner of a building is um, and even easier if you've got a good relationship with your local authority you can just talk to them and ask them to write to the owner and they know who they all are yeah, because right. of um, because of council tax yeah um, registers so it's not too hard um, the hard bit is persuading them to to work with you even if they're it's just sitting there not doing anything for that owner they're they're still like skeptical or or don't really is it a trust issue what what's the what's the um, issue there um yeah i think there is partly a trust issue if they don't know you but i mean even the landlords we've got to know it's taken a long time to sort out all the legal issues and um yeah i think most people are just holding out to you know, maybe try and sell the house. But it does seem crazy when a house has been empty, say, five or even more years, mm. um, you know, and they're not getting any rent whatsoever and the house is falling into disrepair. We offered to, you know, do the work for them and then split the rent over, say, five, seven years. Yeah, right. So that, so that we get our money back. At least they're getting some rent. The house yeah, is brought yeah. back into use and is in good repair and then they get it back at the end of the period. But um People just seem to think, oh, no, you know, I, I, I want the option of maybe selling it in a couple of years and I don't want to sign up to any deal that will do that. And so it stays stays empty, unfortunately. And, and do you try and hook them in for a, a, a relatively uh, long lease? Uh, well, when the, the scheme we've been doing, um, we, we can work with people for between five and eight years at least uh, right. that normally means we can get our money back right um and and but even so we've only signed up one one deal in fact there was a partnership of organizations in leeds which we were part of uh there was a housing association uh and then three social enterprises like canopy and we as a partnership we talked to over a hundred private owners um and in leeds we've only signed two deals Wow! So that shows wow. that shows how difficult it is to crack that bit yeah, of the market. Right. Wow! So some of the properties that you you have uh, secured, and and uh, of those sixty that you've you've worked on, there there must be some pretty uh, interesting ones. What what are some of the uh, the strangest places that you've come across? Uh, well, so far all of our houses have been quite similar in that they're. Um, red brick built uh, Victorian terraced houses in Leeds. Um, there's not many of these around around the country. Um, there's, there's, a, there's a handful in Birmingham in the middle of the country. And then uh, as you go further north, you get more. And Leeds has got the biggest concentration of these. Um, I've so got they're, a kind of vision of, of Coronation Street. Is that, uh, am I on the right track? <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, right. just like that. Yeah. So um, all of our houses have been like that so far. Um, right. And so, you know, they're, they're really quite similar. I mean, different sizes. Um, but, uh, and yeah, does that some mean of them that, been... Does that mean they've all got, they've usually got neighbours? Usually, yeah, yeah. Who are, fact, to... who, yeah, who live there or own, own those, the neighbouring properties? That's right, yeah. So yeah. how, so, um, I mean, they must be, they must be grateful for, an organisation like Canopy coming in and, and making a, a, a derelict house not be derelict. Yeah, that's right. We we do find that we have really good relationships with, with neighbours and other yeah. people on the street, people facing the, the empty house and that kind of thing. Because the, these empty houses become a magnet for antisocial behaviour. Yeah, absolutely. For 
vandalism, um, people hanging out, taking drugs in the in the yard, or even breaking in, and yeah. you know, and so on. So yeah, I mean, particularly where we do up the only empty house on a street, that makes a massive difference. Yeah, because, yeah. You know, for years there's been this derelict eyesore, and then. Uh, we come along and do it up and the tenant gets involved in the renovation at Canopy as well. So the tenant will get to know their neighbours. Um, so, yeah, it's generally one of those win-win situations where everybody's happy. Yeah. And tell us a bit about the, the people who um, you, you've got a good crowd of volunteers there and mm-hmm. you've got some um, some pretty interesting tenants that you've worked with. Yeah, we have. I mean, everyone's got a story. Um We've we've got quite a large volunteer group. Uh, we've got we had seventy people volunteer with us last year, um, and we've now got over a hundred people living in our houses. So all of those people have got stories, yeah. um, and we've got a real range of people. Some very skilled, some very unskilled when they come to us. Um, different ranges of ability and, and needs and issues. Um, one story that stands out for me, I, I quite often tell it, is one of our colleagues called Patrick. Uh, he actually came to the UK aged 15 as an unaccompanied minor from Cameroon. Um, he came over on a on a plane yeah. um, because of uh, issues back home. His life was being threatened. Uh, so he came over without – his dad was dead. He came over without his mom, without any brothers or sisters. Um, and he came to us on a school placement originally for a two-week work experience placement. Yeah. Uh, and he carried on working with us, uh, worked in his – summer holidays and so on. When he was a little bit older, he had some issues and he became homeless. Uh, he didn't speak any English at this point um, when he first came and we've got one or two French-speaking colleagues here, so uh, that was his language, so that, that was good. Um, but he worked on a house um, and then moved in as as the tenant, uh, so you know that sorted out his homelessness issue. Um, he was also gaining lots of skills working at Canopy, so uh, we took him on as an apprentice um, maintenance worker, yeah, and then later on uh, we took him on full time as a maintenance um, worker. Wow. And, and since then, and he's um, gone on to uh, college and done um, a diploma in plastering. So he's really quite an expert plasterer now. Uh, and uh, the latest bit of his story is that he's buying his own house. Is that right? So, um, yeah. So he's come kind of full circle, really, and he's, he embodies the canopy story, really. And there were some clear moments on that journey where he, he it could have gone a drastically different direction. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. And, um, you know, he, he's a real success story. Um, and, you know, there's other people who've got similar journeys at Canopy, and I think because it's quite an informal, friendly place, very supportive, and just so many opportunities to get involved and learn skills, yeah. get into training and work and get into housing and so on. It, you know, it, it can be, you know, can be great for people. I've just checked out your video on your website. And there's some beautiful looking stories there and people in a, the great scene of the, the people, uh, the big chain moving all the furniture in, which I don't know if that's, yeah. is it, if it's donated or, or where it's coming from, but then to see, is it the mother and the daughter, uh, in in the house uh, w- with all the furniture in it. Yeah, that's right. So uh, yeah, yeah cool. people should check that out uh, um, on your website. There's a, a link to that, and I'll put a link up to so people can find it. But uh, it's a that's a, a very well put together little video to to show what uh, what it's all about. Hey, um, yeah, thanks. Well, I... Sorry, go ahead. 
So I was saying uh, it's a good video. Uh, I think I'm not sure if the sound quality is that great. We're we're hoping to do some more videos maybe over the next year or two. Right. Um. So yeah, we'll we'll see. We'll, we'd like to anyway. Awesome. Hey, uh, what's your favourite book, Steve? Um, well, at the moment, I'm reading a good book by Danny Dorling, um, which is called All That Is Solid. And um, it's it's a book about the current housing situation in the UK and bringing some fresh perspectives to that. Um, right. Talking about some of the issues we were talking about earlier um, mm-hmm. around, you know, supply and affordability and, and things like that. I'm only partway through, but it's my kind of book because it's all about housing and quite a, an easy read. Good, good. And where can people find out more if they want to uh, look at what you're doing? Um, well, I'd point them to our website initially, um, which is canopyhousing.org. Uh, also, check out my uh, – we've got a Twitter feed as well. Uh, that's at Canopy Housing. And we've got a Facebook page, which they could find. Um, and people are very welcome to get in touch with me. You know, feel free to put my – Twitter handle on on the on the podcast or on the on the links. Great, yeah, we'll see, we certainly will. Awesome. Thanks very much Great. for your time, Steve. Really appreciate it. No problem, Matthew. It's been a pleasure talking. Steve Hui, there, ending that interview, all about self-help housing. And as Steve mentioned, he's more than happy for people to get in touch with him. Very generous with his time and making himself pretty available online. In fact, I found Steve uh, on Twitter, which, where his tag is Steve underscore Huey. That's S-T-E-V underscore H-O-E-Y. And you can find his other contact information. I'll put it over on the show notes, homestylegreen.com slash self-help housing, or just go to homestylegreen.com slash 75, as in episode 75, and you'll find bunch of links. There's also a great video that Steve and his team have put together, and uh, I've embedded that into the, the show notes plus links to their site, and also um, Professor Mullins and his some of his research on the topic of self-help housing. I hadn't heard of that term before this interview, and uh, I'm very interested to find out what, uh, what you think about that. Um, certainly, it's a case of affordability rearing its head again been a couple of episodes now where we've talked about that and I and it seems that despite me thinking that I would sort of uh, stay away from that topic it's definitely out there and I can't ignore it so I'm interested if self-help housing and a, a canopy housing project style of program would work where you are is there a need for such a thing where wherever you're happen you you're listening to this? And what would the local constraints be in your area? Steve mentioned that um, they have a decent supply of housing there, but obviously funding is, is a bit of a challenge, but getting negotiating with, with homeowners is, is often the, the challenge. What would be the constraint where you live, and can you see a need for, for such a thing? I, I think right at the start, he Steve also made a very good point that we – we do tend to get a bit selfish with our houses. We tend to think about our, ourselves first, and there are certainly lots of things that I could do to make myself more comfortable in my home, and I, I think about extra insulation I could put in, extra heating. and uh, But we don't have to look very far to see that there are others in much worse 
conditions. And I guess that's important to think about, well, what's the, what's the bigger benefit of helping those in, in a far greater need? And I think we all suffer if our wider community is in a, in a much worse condition and there are people within that community that are in a much worse situation. So I would like to think that we could all benefit by helping everyone. And this is a, certainly an eye-opener to people that are doing great things out there to help people other than themselves and, and also making good of uh, great use of existing resources, uh, in, the, in this case, old houses and, um, that are just standing vacant. Anyway, so I hope you enjoy that. Now, um, on to other news, exciting news for Homestyle Green. I am very excited that we've got a sponsor for the show. Homestyle Green's been going for a couple of years now, and I've been thinking about this issue for quite some time. And a little bit of background, uh, it's a bit of a challenge, I think, to get a sponsor in this space, because ideally it would be a product or a service that I have used and that I could endorse because I have fully tested it. Now, that's not going to always be the case, I think, in regards to housing because I, it's pretty pretty tricky for me right now to, to build lots of houses. And so there's a good chance that I may have to get a sponsor on board that I haven't actually necessarily used myself, but I am wanting to keep any sponsorship to someone that I believe is going to benefit the and be in line with the mission of this show, which is inspiring people to make a better place to live. And I think I've found that person, and I think I've found that company, so I'm very excited about that, and I'm um, hoping to share more about that next week and what that might mean for the podcast. In the meantime, that uh, I think just about wraps it up for this week, so I hope you enjoyed that. Love you to head on over to homestylegreen.com slash 75 leave your comments there about this episode and I'd really love to find out from you if you think this sort of self-help housing would work or is needed in your community and where you are and what the constraints might be so leave a comment and uh, feel free to drop us a line and ask any other questions as well I'm Matthew Cutler-Welsh thanks for listening in now go make a better place to live